0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. During these days of Aseris Chuva, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, leading up even in El, we find that there are so many things that we do that are interesting, almost symbolic. But when you delve into them, it doesn't just seem symbolic, it seems like inquisitive. I'll give you an example. I have Rosh Hashanah in my house, so the whole El I've been blowing shofar in the morning after the Avani, I come home. I'm like, it's El, Blow the shofar. Every morning. Arab Rosh Hashanah, everybody knows it's brought down in halacha. You're not supposed to blow the shofar. So I don't blow it. My younger son, he turns to me and he says, hey, why didn't you blow the shofar today? It's, you know, El Rosh Hashanah, why didn't you blow the shofar? And my older son says to him, no, no, no. On Arab Rosh Hashanah, everybody knows that you don't blow the shofar. So my younger son says, well, why not? he says, because we are trying to trick the satan. The satan, every day you've been blowing shofar, comes out of Rosh Hashanah, you don't blow the shofar. So the satan is like, hmm, what? Yeah, oh, okay. I guess this year they're not doing Rosh Hashanah. So my younger son is like, oh, okay, so that's, that's all that we got to do. We just have to just not pull the shofar and we've tricked the satan. And when we're children, we hear it, so we accept it, and then we move on with our lives. But it's a very funny thing that we just don't don't blow the shofar and the Sutton has been tricked. Comes the first night of Rosh Hashanah, we sit down, we dip an apple and honey, and now we are having a sweet year. And then if you're in an area where they do Tashlich on the first day of Rosh Hashanah, or maybe you do it during a Sarasmechuva, you go down to the water, you take some bread. You throw it into the water, and all of your averos that you've ever done in your whole life are completely absolved because you threw some bread into the water. What an amazing concept. So, of course, we know that there's always deeper mystical elements to all of this. And we also know that all of these pieces all have within them tefillahs that are part of them. We all know that. But when my sons were having this conversation, it really struck a chord by me. What are we doing? We're not the long shofar in order to trick the satan. We're not, you know, we're going to dip an apple in honey, and then all of a sudden we have a magical sweet new year. And then we just go down to the water, throw in our virus, and all of our virus are gone. So this idea was bothering me throughout the beginning of Rosh Hashanah. And then I came up with a a bit of a mahalach, a bit of a, a thought process, which hopefully we can each take with us as we enter this very auspicious time of the year. So here's the idea. There's a true story of two men, who were working as computer analysts. They were just sitting behind a desk every day working. These two guys were coworkers, good friends, and they're working as computer analysts. And the two of them were having a conversation one day. One of them said, can you imagine us doing this for the rest of our lives? And the other one said, absolutely not. This is the most boring job in the world. I really hope I don't do this for the rest of my life. And they got into this conversation and they realized that they were somewhat athletic, And they decided that they were going to save up enough money doing the job that they were doing, quit their jobs, and go for a year of training, which was going to prime them to be able to try out to become Navy SEALs. Now, if you know anything about Navy SEALs, Navy SEALs is the elite of all elite special forces in the U.S. Army. It is not an easy feat to get into the Navy SEALs. But these guys, they realized that their life was on a path that they did not want it to be. And they decided that they were going to change and they were going to go down this other path to become Navy SEALs. So these two men, they quit their job after a few months and they hired a former SEAL who was training them for a year. And every day for 12 to 14 hours, their regiment of exercise and diet and sleep and mindset was only focused on becoming a Navy SEAL. And what they were told was that in order to become a Navy SEAL, besides for the physical attributes that you have to have, mentally they try to crack you and break you as part of the training so you have to set your mindset that no matter what you're going to become a navy seal and the two of them at each other whatever happens we're not quitting we're not giving up even if our bodies quit our minds are not going to quit we're going to do whatever we can to become navy seals and these two men they signed up for buds it's basic underwater demolition and seal training and they join and the two of them side by side every day We're working to become Navy SEALs. And the way it works from the SEALs and SEAL training is that when you sign up, there's a class of, let's say, 150 students. Each student gets a helmet with a number. That becomes your symbolic number throughout the entire course that you're there. There's a bell, which is everybody could see the bell. And basically, when the training gets too tough and when the instructors start to break you down, you basically say, I can't do this anymore. You take your helmet, you walk out, you ring the bell, and you're done. So throughout the SEAL training, you start off with, let's say, 150 trainees, you end up with just a handful at the end. Most people take their helmets, ring the bell, and they're gone. They just cannot handle it. It's just too much. For those who make it far enough, they start having various evolutions, they call it, which is where they start to basically give them tests. So even if you feel that you could do it, if the instructors feel that you can't do it, even if... You've done whatever you needed to do. If you can't pass certain tests or certain milestones, the instructor say to you, listen, it's a good try. We voted you out, you're done. You have to go take your helmet, ring the bell, and you're out. These two guys, these computer analysts, were pushing really, really hard. And they made it over the fifth week, which is the hardest week. And they're they're on towards their destiny to become Navy SEALs. And at one point, they have this test It's the test of the five knots. Now, what happens in the test of the five knots is that there's a very large pool, very deep, and every trainee has to jump in. There's a rope on the bottom. You get to go down five times, only five times. And every time you go down, you have to take a rope and tie it to another rope on the bottom of the water. And you swim back up, you get another rope, you go down, you tie it on the bottom. You go up and down five times, tying progressively harder knots on the bottom of this really deep pool. On the bottom of the pool, there are instructors decked out in scuba gear, and they're watching you to make sure that you're safe and that you're doing everything that you needed to do. So the first guy jumps in of these two computer analysts. He jumps in, swims down to the bottom, ties his first knot, swims up, ties the second knot, swims up, ties his third knot swims, up, ties his knot, swims up, ties his fourth knot, swims up, ties his fifth knot. He had passed this evolution, and he was passed this test to be able to become a Navy SEAL. A bunch of other people go, and then his friend goes. And his friend jumps in, and he goes down to the bottom, and he ties his first knot. And then he goes down, and he ties the second knot. And then he goes down on the third knot, and he stumbles, and he's not able to get this knot to go. He comes up, and he has a very dejected look on his face because he realizes that by not tying this knot, he most likely dashed years and years of work that were just going to go out the window. He was not going to become an EV seal. The instructor turns to him and says, you actually have two more times to go down. So if on those two times you can tie three knots, you pass this evolution. The seal says, okay. He goes back down on the fourth time and he ties the fourth knot. And he comes up and he has one more time to go down to tie knot number five and knot number three. And the seal swims down to the bottom and he ties the fifth knot. And then he's trying to hold his breath and he's trying to tie knot number three, but he's quickly running out of oxygen. So he anchors himself on the bottom, and he continues to try to do knot number three. But they're complex knots. They're not little bow ties. They're, they're complex knots. And he's trying knot number three, and he's trying knot number three. And the instructors on the bottom are watching him as he's slowly losing consciousness until finally he starts taking on water, and he passes out. The instructors grab him. They swim him up to the surface. They throw him out of the pool. They lay him down on the hard surface, and they start doing CPR. Water comes out of his lungs. He turns around and he looks up. And the first thing out of his mouth, he says, did I pass? Did I get it? And the instructor's looking at him. And the instructor doesn't have the heart to tell him that, no, you didn't get it. He says, yeah, yeah, you, you passed this evolution. You're good. And the other trainees who were standing there, they said, what do you mean he passed? He didn't pass. The guy didn't get it. He didn't get not number three. He didn't do it. And the instructor said, let me tell you a principle when it comes to Navy SEAL, something you may have known from the beginning, that in order to become an Navy SEAL, it's not just about the physical attributes. It's about the mindset, the mentality, that there is nothing that is impossible for you to do. And when it seems impossible, you will push yourself even further to accomplish the impossible. He says, many of you, you tied the five knots, but you didn't really try very hard. This was not a difficult exercise for you. He says, but for this guy, it was impossible on the fifth time to go down to tie two knots. But he didn't give up. He tried. He pushed. He said, you know what? I'm able to do this. If I can't, I'm going to push myself to my limits where I'm literally going to become exhausted, pass out, and risk my life to be able to accomplish my goal. He said, that is the mentality. That is the mindset of an SEAL, And therefore, he passed. The altar of says a fantastic, life-changing small thought. He says, when a person gets up in the morning, they say the words, What do we think when we say those words? So for most people, you get up, you mumble it, you go, I think I said it, and I'm good to go and you start your day. But says the altar of Sabbatka, there are two people who get up in the morning. One person gets up in the morning and he just mumbles it and he's on with his day. And another person, he realizes that Hashem has bestowed within him a neshama, which has the kayaḥ haba'chira. The kayaḥ haba'chira means that you have the ability every single morning to do anything that you want. You could get on a plane today, you could fly across the world. You could go to Eretz You could go to California. You could go to China. You could move into the mountains. You could start a business. You could close a business. You could save someone's life. You could take somebody's life. You can do anything you want to do today because you have the kayaḥ. And the altar of Sabbath says that when a person realizes that, and he has that in mind, it will change his whole day. He won't just get up in the morning saying, yeah, whatever, I'll go through my day, I'll go to my boring job, I'll clock in, I'll clock out, I'll spend some time with my boring family, and then I'll clock out, I'll go go to sleep again. Says the altar, when you get up in the morning, you get driven. There's a reason for you to be alive. There's a reason for you to do something today with your day. So then your day is a totally different day, because you have it is in your hands. What you do, what you see, what you say, who you were friends with, how you're, how you are as a husband, as a wife, as a child, who you're going to date, if you're going to say yes to them, everything is in your hands. You could do it. Don't believe in somebody else. It's up to you. That's what the altar says. A person should have a mind when he gets up in the morning. So I was thinking on Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the Maydaani of the year. Rosh Hashanah is it's it's the it's the morning of the year. It's the dawn of a new day. It's the time when we get up in the morning, we say, hey, now I'm here. And so many of us, we go into shul and we daven, we say, give me life, right? Everything was chayim, 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 sifriya chayim, kasvenu b'sifra chayim. Everything is all about chayim, give us life. And we're sort of to- talking to Hashem and saying, Hashem, give us life. And last year, we said the same thing. The year before, we said the same thing. The life is dear. In to Hashem, we should all have a great, wonderful year of health and wealth and all these beautiful things. But we're so often talking to Hashem And I think, I think that these symbolic things that we do are not symbolic at all. What we're doing before Rosh Hashanah is we're talking to ourselves. And we're saying to ourselves, it came a whole i I'm davening. And if you're sorry, you're saying, it's the whole L. If you're Ashkenazi, you're saying it for a week before Rosh Hashanah. And you're sitting there and you're saying, Hashem, Hashem, it's all up to you. It's all up to you. Salakli, 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 Hashem, do everything. And right before Rosh Hashanah, we put ourselves in a mindset where we say to ourselves, do I have the ability to trick my Yates Sahara? Do I have the ability? Did I ever try to trick my Yates Sahara? Did I ever take out my phone and say, hey, Yate Sahara, watch this. I'm putting a filter. I'm getting rid of some of my apps. I'm signing out of Instagram, TikTok, whatever. I'm getting rid of all these things. Watch me do this. It's up to me. Instead of Davening, oh Hashem, I need your help. You need to do this for me. Yes, of course we need Hashem. Of course we need Tfila. But have we ever taken the initiative on our own? Have we ever taken the initiative to have a sweeter year, to, to look at things in a sweeter light, to say sweeter things, to change what goes into our mouth, and what goes out of our mouth, that it should be sweeter? Have we ever done that? Have we ever walked down to the water, go on a walk, and you say to yourself, you know what? I could reinvent myself. I could leave all of my Avaris here. I could go home a totally new person. Have we ever thought that the ability to do that was within us or we constantly think that it's up to somebody else? My therapist will deal with all my problems, my worries, my anxiety, my depression. My spouse will deal with the fact that I'm not a good, I'm not a good husband, I'm not a good wife. It's not up to me, it's up to them. My children, if they were just calmer and would just sit in a corner and just look at the wall, then I would be the, the most gracious parent. I would be such a great parent. You know, if my grandchildren came over and didn't play any blocks, asked to read any books or anything, they would just sit there and look up at the ceiling. I'll be the best grandmother, the best grandfather. That's not life. That's not living. Living is where you understand that there are challenges every single step of the way, but you rise to those challenges. You do something different within your own life. And these symbolic things that we do are not symbolic at all. It's a message that the same way we spend so much time davening to Hashem and saying, Hashem, it's all up to you. Give us life. Salachti, right? Say forgive you. All of those things that we say, it's also up to us. We have to take responsibility for our own lives. And guess what? When we do that, it feels so good. When you have that mindset and you have that mentality coming in from Elo and Rosh Hashanah and then there's a possibility that even though you didn't do everything right this year, maybe we didn't, but there's a possibility that our instructor up up on high will look down at us and they'll say, You know what? You didn't do everything right. You didn't pass all the tests that I gave you. But guess what? You have the right mindset. And somebody who has the right mindset, I'm willing to invest in him to have another year, a great year, a wonderful year. she be the bench to have gavaldig a year coming forward a year where it's a lot sweeter than the year before but it all comes about if i may say a little bit of an adjustment in our own attitudes towards nobody else but just towards ourselves you've just experienced another torah class brought to you by torahanytime.com